Well, this movie is 2012 movies in a nutshell. Today I'm talking about Safe House. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends, and welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I'm talking about the 2012 movie Safe House, and it might seem a very random choice, but it reappeared on Netflix, which reminded me I hadn't watched it in a while, wanted to watch it again, see if it held up at all, and it's kind of an interesting time capsule, and I'll explain why a bit more in the preamble, but it's definitely, uh, it has all the same flaws I remember at the same time, but I think I can articulate them a little bit better this time around. So without further ado, let's get started. If you want to gauge what movie styles and trends were popular in a certain era, you'll probably look to the trendsetters, or the big movies that everyone copied their visual style and themes from. But I think it's often more telling to look at the less distinct imitators. The movies that may have found temporary success but disappeared into the ether. And one such movie from the era of shaky cam and high contrast just appeared on Netflix, 2012's Safe House. Ryan Reynolds stars as Matt Weston, a low-level CIA operative tasked with maintaining and running an agency safe house in Cape Town, South Africa. Though he's happy with his girlfriend, Weston is aching for a real assignment, which he gets when former CIA operative turned rogue assassin Deacon Frost, played by Denzel Washington, seeks shelter at a nearby embassy and is brought into Weston's safe house. But when Frost's latest job brings a cadre of assassins to the safe house's door, Weston will have to go on the run with his, with his captive and determine who the real enemies are. Safe House is a movie I remember liking but not loving, and that held true with my most recent viewing. The premise is a nice spin on the standard espionage movie, Reynolds and Washington give committed performances, and there's some decent, decent action scenes. Decent, but not great. Which is why I want to use this movie as an example for why movies that attempt to imitate a style or another franchise don't work. So let's start with the themes. In case it wasn't clear, Safe House feels like an attempt to replicate the intense espionage drama of the original Bourne trilogy, with a mixed understanding of why those movies worked. One of the sticking points is the theme. An ongoing theme of the Bourne movies is how the government can steal people's humanity by making them tools and using them for heartless or personally motivated purposes. Safe House is dancing around this idea by pairing up Weston and Frost. Weston is the newbie who believes in the agency and its mission, while Frost is the man who left for seemingly selfish reasons. We can tell what the endgame is from the jump. Frost wants to shine light on the agency's misdeeds, especially the ones he was responsible for, and Weston is slowly but surely going to realize what's going on. But there's pieces missing. Weston may be portrayed as young and enthusiastic, but his defining attribute before everything goes to hell isn't belief in the CIA, it's ambition. We get glimpses of him questioning some shady interrogation tactics, but he's not on the fence about the CIA as an agency. Frost isn't much better. The film hints that Frost isn't the monster he's been made out to be, and that despite being a master manipulator, he doesn't want Weston to go down the same path he did. But that's reading a lot into the acting versus what's being said or shown. What we mostly get is that Frost is bitter and wants to take the CIA down a peg. There's little to no moral outrage in what he's doing. 
Imagine Jason Bourne as somebody who's trying to take the CIA down just because. Not because they robbed him of his identity, killed people he loved, and tried to have him killed. It's not as strong. And we also have some very sloppy action editing. A lot of people have critiqued Paul Greengrass's shaky cam in the Bourne movies, and while the film's choppy editing can be hard to follow from time to time, its primary sin was introducing the idea to filmmakers with less experience and knowledge. The reason action junkies dislike shaky cam is because action scenes and fights are frequently, but not always, hard to follow. But that's not a problem with the technique, it's a problem with filming and editing. Jason Bourne's fight with Desh in The Bourne Ultimatum features a ton of editing, close-ups, and camera motion, but it's very easy to see who's striking who, with what, and where. The shot selection is close-up, but every time we see someone picks up a new weapon or lands a blow, we see it. Even if you can't follow every single motion, you have a feel for the fight thanks to the shot selection and the editing. What's so frustrating about Safe House is you can see the bones of great scenes that have been hacked to bits by the editing. I'll use two scenes to highlight what I'm talking about. In one scene, we've got Denzel's Frost running away from gunmen over rooftops at night, and Weston in pursuit on the ground. Not a bad dual-level scene setup. But piecing together where each character is and who's in pursuit is a nightmare. Not just because of the lighting, but because we rarely, if ever, get wide shots that put both characters in view at the same time. And if they are, they're a split second. So why does this matter? Because if Weston is in pursuit, we need some idea of how far away he is to give the scene tension. If he's trying to capture Frost, the more distance creates more tension, and a smaller distance means he's getting close. But without that framework, we're just kind of waiting for them to meet up. The second scene is a brutal brawl between Weston and another assassin. The staging of this fight is amazing, as both players tear through the house, use everything nearby as a weapon, and attempt to land killing blows with makeshift blades. The problem is, it is very, and I mean very, hard to determine who's landing blows and when. Even standoffs where one character has a blade and the other doesn't don't always have obvious payoffs. Either the blade goes into someone or it doesn't, and they aren't shown on screen. Instead, we see Weston react like he's been stabbed and versus seeing him get stabbed, which again lessens the tension in a scene this could have. The problem with the frenetic editing is that the inexperienced action directors use it as a crutch to make their scenes more intense, when in fact, not being able to see the power dynamics change from moment to moment, or take in every bit of the action, is what kills the tension. The verdict is, it's passable, but flawed. Indicative of its day, Safe House demonstrates why direction and a clear script, even in an over-the-top action movie, is important. 6 out of 10. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.